when folks are running across the trails, uh, the the appreciation for the quality of the food that we put out is uh, is elevated. So sometimes we'll get this is the best meal I've ever had and those sorts of things. As I as I mentioned earlier, you know when I was when I was a kid, I went up to the huts, and that is uh, pretty. And then I applied to be hut crew later on in life, and that is very common for us. There's there's a pretty big following of the huts, and it's also just a, kind of a cool opportunity to go and live up in the whites. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I did my first season up at Lakes of the Clouds. Um, as a as a lowly crew member and uh the next year i was an assistant over at madison and then uh came back and was head master in my third year of a galehead so that's sort of like a, a pretty typical progression of how you'd see um one of these hut folk do do their time and and move, move up through the ranks hey guys this is christian here from the christian ultra podcast and today's guest is from the Appalachian Mountain Club. His name is James. So we talk about the structure of the club and all the details and the huts in the White Mountains. I decided to have the Appalachian Mountain Club onto the podcast because I'm very passionate about trail running and mountains and also the Appalachian Trail. So I thought this would be a great show for people to listen to. Today, if I'm still um, out on the Southwest Coast path, I'll be on day 10. And if I'm on record pace, which I hope I am, tomorrow will be my last day. So let's see. As I often say, sit back, hold tight, and prepare to be taken to the Appalachian Mountains. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Christian Ultra Podcast. And today I've got a really special guest, um, something which I'm quite passionate about myself. Um, the AMC, the Appalachian Mountain Club. And to represent the AMC, um, I have James with me and, um, and we're going we're gonna to have a good old chat about the AMC. So, um, hey, James, um, welcome to the show. Thank you, Christian. It's good to be here. Oh, you're welcome. I uh, really appreciate um, you, you giving your time. So um, the Appalachian Mountain Club, not to be confused with uh, Appalachian Trail Conservancy at, at all. They're two completely different um, organizations. Um, well, do you want to uh, introduce yourself and what your role is in the AMC? And then maybe uh, we can start from there. Yeah, certainly. That sounds great. Um, I, my name is James Wrigley. I uh, I am the director of White Mountain Huts and Lodges for the AMC. So that means that I uh, oversee our two front country lodges and our eight backcountry huts. Um, and those huts are spread along uh, about 50 miles of trail and the front country lodges are, are roadside, uh, kind of interspersed along that chain of eight huts. Okay, and so, did you say you're the the what what's the your position again director did you say yes yeah director of white mountain huts and lodges is is the the fun okay. fun title yeah how many um people are involved you know how many people do you have to kind of look out for in terms, you mean in terms of staff or in terms of uh yeah staff in your section staff and volunteers yeah yeah the uh for the 
the full-time staff, we have about um, 24 full-time staff that I work with. Um, and then probably an, an additional uh, 10 to 12 that are, uh, well, actually many, many more than that, but 10 to 12 that are, that are kind of immediately in the operations of the, uh, of the lots and lodges that uh, don't directly report to me. Um, and uh, that number swells in terms of seasonals uh, during the kind of winter time, the slower times in the shoulder seasons, we have somewhere around um, probably 40 uh, seasonal staff. And then during the uh, busier times, we have upwards of 115 seasonal staff. Uh, that, that's at our, our lodges. The organization itself is much larger than that. We have a total headcount of about 185 people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the seasonal staff uh, swells to 300 or so folks uh, in the summertime when we have our trail crews around, when we have our mountain classroom programs running, our education programs, our youth programs running, as well yeah. as our lodges. Um, so would you uh, be able to give a history on the Appalachian Mountain Club so people who don't haven't heard of this organization can kind of um, get an understanding for actually what the I'm going to use the acronym here AMC is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's a uh, we are I guess the oldest conservation organization in the United States. So in 1876, we were founded. Um, in Boston by a group of uh, academics, as so many things in the Boston area are formed, uh, an area known for its kind of colleges and universities. And so uh, that group initially was out for kind of what we're still doing today, which is um, enjoying the, the, the outdoors as well as learning about it and helping to protect it. So. Uh, we have a rich history in doing that. And so 1876, we've got our uh, 150th anniversary coming up here in about six years. Um, so we've been around for a bit. And during that time, you know, we, we, we've had some changes uh, in how we operate as an organization. We had closed membership until the 70s. Now we're an open membership organization, um, which is a bit larger. Uh, well, helped us helped us grow and helped us be more accessible, inclusive with a larger population. And we're still trying to become um, more accessible. You'll you'll hear a lot uh, of of people talking these days uh, with you know Black Lives Matter being in the news uh, about the outdoors being a pretty exclusive place, and the or the organization is working uh, to try to be a more inclusive organization and be uh, a place where we are inclusive of different ways in which people use the outdoors. Um, and so, you know, the, the work that we do spans from the work that we'll be talking about here today, mostly, uh, which is the, our, our lodges and our huts, which supports our kind of recreation-based, right? We're, we're encouraging folks to go out and use these places that we set aside for, um, for recreation. And we're doing that by supporting infrastructure, whether that is lodging, huts, shelters, uh, or trails. Um, we do a lot of trail work as well in the Northeast and really, uh, you know, the, the broader Northeast. Um, and then we also do uh, youth engagement uh, in the 70s is really where a lot of that work um, began about 50 years ago. 
Um, and we have some youth engagement that we do through our youth opportunities program, which we could talk about, uh, our map modern classroom program, which is more of a school-based programming. Um, yeah. And then we also do policy advocacy, policy advocacy work as well, where we are doing, uh, you know, trying to protect uh, more and more of, of these areas. Um, the Land Water Conservation Fund was recently re-upped um, for uh, a large sum of money. Uh, I don't have the, the amount, but it's a you know billions of dollars, uh, and that is something that the AMC is uh, has been working on over the past really two decades, but certainly the past decade very strongly to try to help to protect more lands here in the United States. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I have personal, I have personal experience of the whites because um, so New Hampshire, I did that on the Appalachian Trail. I did that entire section. And um, I got to say, it was just absolutely stunning to be up above tree line and looking around on a good day. <laughs> I mean, it yeah, makes a yeah, difference totally. if, it's, if it's bad weather, then it's kind of, yeah, survival. But yeah, you, you guys have um, got those huts in one of, if you know, one of the most beautiful parts of the world. And it must be, it's something to be proud of as well. You know, those, um, what you have there. Hey, James, how about your personal um, connection with the AMC? How did you get involved when and w what was your role? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I first got involved with the AMC, I guess, through my father, um, who, uh, I don't know, the first year he became a member, but he was a member um, back after they opened kind of membership up to the more general population, he became a member. Um, before it was like you needed two people to nominate you and you had to go through this whole nominating process. So after that, he, he was, he was allowed in. Um, and, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, we, we went up to, uh, the, um, we went up to Lake, uh, sorry, not Lakes, uh, Lonesome Lake Hut when I was about three years old. I, I hiked all the way up the mile and a half to the Lonesome Lake Hut, uh, which is kind of our, our most accessible spot. And after that, every summer we'd we'd head up as a family. My my mom, my sister, and I, and my dad, and we'd go out to uh, to the huts. We'd also go to Cardigan Lodge, which is one of the front country lodges down in Alexandria, New Hampshire. Um, then you know, as as a Boy Scout, I uh, went out went around and hiked on a lot of the trails, stayed at a lot of the shelters in the White Mountains um, that the AMC maintained. And then in college, I was hired on as a seasonal employee to work uh, on hut crew. And I kind of stuck around ever since I took a couple of years off after college, but I've been working for the past 10 years full time now for the organization. Um, and yeah, uh, that's awesome. But geez, your roots go so deep. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's ingrained in you as a child through the, the, I suppose the passion of your father, what a, yeah, what a, what a uh, qualification, you know, to, you know, if, if I bet when you applied for the job, you know, you were kind of like, okay, w this is the right guy for us. <laughs> Let's uh, get him into the, the club. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that's really wonderful, particularly about the huts is that is, uh, that is not an unusual story to hear. I mean, perhaps from H3 on, but you know, I, I was lucky enough to participate in the interviews for the seasonal hut crew for probably seven, eight years. And the amount of kids that are coming in, and I call them kids, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds that are coming, that are coming in um, and saying, oh yeah, I know, you know, I, I've been doing this since I was, you know, five. My grandfather took me when I was 10. Um, it's, it's, it's all over the place. It's really, um, 
an astounding uh, culture where folks really love these places and want to give back and want to participate uh, and heck, we want to live in the mountains and enjoy enjoy a summer up in uh, the the high peaks of the Northeast. Yeah, and 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 so um, so yeah, that's your history. And so, did you so with this volunteering? What did that involve when you were younger? Um, and what did you do? Do you mean you mean the hut crew or the uh, or the just kind of going and, and visiting? Uh, huts and, and walking the trails oh no sorry I, I i i must have um misheard that you volunteered before you started working for the organization now i i, I suppose if your dad was a member and you're walking around with him and stuff so your father was a member maybe um how did that um play into I mean, did did he have any particular things that he did, for example, or was it just being a member and in, enjoying the actual, you know, the um, privileges of the the beautiful mount, the huts on the trail and stuff? Or did he was he more involved actively, or did you kind of take that step further yourself as an adult and think, no, I want to be a part of this organization? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. My my father there's there's a lot that you can do with the organization right so we, we've kind of gotten caught up in this lodging piece of the organization where we went and hiked on the trails and stayed in the the, the lodges and um so that kind of recreational side um with the lodges but there's also um the chapters uh which are a really important part of the organization so we have chapters from maine all the way down to uh washington dc uh and those groups essentially organize hikes and gatherings uh, of like-minded individuals who okay. are interested in, in, in going to the outdoors. So that's something my dad always sort of toyed with, but he was uh, but as a lawyer and he doesn't like, uh, <laughs> they, they like wanted him to sign some form and he didn't want to sign it because he thought it was silly. So he always refused to be a chapter leader, which in retrospect, I talked to him a couple of years ago about it. And he's like, I really wish I had just done it because I, oh, I think wow. it was fun. But uh so mostly what we were con confined to was this uh, kind of going up, staying at huts, walking the trails, staying at shelters, uh, and those, those sorts of things. Do you have um, any children yourself? I do. I have a, a little four and a half, almost five-year-old and a two-year-old. Okay. And those, those um, your children, I take it, have already been up to some of the huts? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, nice. Evie, my older girl, has gone to pretty much all of them at this point yeah that's so cool yeah 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 oh man that's uh that's, that's pretty cool uh well yeah I, I hope you don't mind me asking you know a couple of personal questions about no, you not at all. it'd be not nice at all. Yeah. To, to hear how you got involved and yeah i mean from the age from such a young age that's astounding um and that's one other thing that i'll just sorry to interrupt you oh, I mean, yeah go ahead i i have found um i i I have found having kids that the huts, I, huts are really an amazing, uh, an, an amazing thing, right? Like I, I have, a, a, like I said, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Four-year-old is not carrying much weight, and yeah. the two-year-old is going to be in my back on my backpack. So if I'm going somewhere and we want to do a, like a, a backpacking overnight, um, you know, my partner and I going out uh, with our with our two kids, we would be hard pressed to do a backpacking trip much more than a half mile yeah. uh, into the woods or something like that. So 
you know, having the huts there, it has been amazing where we can, we can go up, we have a place to stay, we have food served to us, cleaned up, you know, all the things we can really do it. We can go on a legit, you know, hiking trip. We could go out to Zealand Falls hut, three miles, our little girl, we probably have to carry her, the four-year-old a little bit and carry the other one in the backpack most of the way. And, you know, we're in the woods for the night and it's really, yeah. uh, it's really something I had, I hadn't fully appreciated until I had the kids. And I was just like, oh, this is, this is nearly impossible uh, yeah. with having this infrastructure and support. I, I think that's amazing though. So like one, two, three generations, you know, your father, um, you, and now your children, and you're just kind of in, you know, you're just installing this, I mean, installing sounds like a computer program. Sorry, you're giving these children and you've been given this opportunity by your um, parents, uh, you know, to go and experience the outdoors. And uh, it's such a valuable, uh, va you know, what, what a great experience. You said something just which actually has brought on a question for me here. And I'd assumed, I don't know why, but I'd assumed that all these eight huts were just actually shelters. So you said about getting... Um, food. So, uh, excuse me for not doing my research, but so are some of these huts you can actually stay in, and there's people occupying them and 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 doing a food service. Oh yeah, yeah. The, our our huts are unique in the United States in that we're really closer to what y'all have over in Europe. Um, they oh, man, are. I didn't. Oh geez, yeah. Well, yeah. Go ahead and talk about the the huts. And sorry, I just for some reason I just in my mind I assumed shelters. Yeah, great researcher, Christian. Yeah, yeah go on. Talk to us about <laughs> no, the huts. No worries. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, they're they're um, they're really neat places. There are eight of them, and there are they have like their own personality at each one. Uh, you know, Galehead is our most remote hut. It's very quiet. It's smaller. And then we have Lakes of the Clouds, which is on the shoulder of Mount Washington, and uh, you know, is, is very busy. It can hold 90 folks and, you know, people end up sleeping on the floor and the dining room generally through hikers. I hike in the Appalachian trail. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a very cramped, busy building uh, up in the Alpine zone there. So, you know, they're, they're all very, very different. Um, Unique from each other. Yeah, exactly. In their own way. And then, yeah, from basically June 1st through September, October, depending upon location, um, where we have our hut crew up there. So anywhere from five to 11 people at a hut, uh, serving meals at dinner and breakfast. Uh, so they spend all day cooking the food, um, up at, you know, we have commercial kitchens up there and they, we serve family styles. Folks come in, they sit around a table. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes they're sitting with their families. Sometimes they're sitting with total strangers. Um, and, they eat their meals and be served basically, what is it? A five course meal. You get their, your soup, then your salad and your bread and your, your wow. entree usually consists of a, you know, a protein and uh, you know, a side and a vegetable. Um, and then we bring out our, our coffee and dessert. And it is, it is really, you know, like the, the yeah. more now more as an adult where I can and and sort of I unfortunately or fortunately get get up less and do less of the sort of uh, back of the house stuff and do more of the kind of sitting and experiencing it and talking uh -huh. with guests and hearing what they're saying but it is wonderful just being up there sitting and uh and having someone come in bring you your food clean up after you when you're gone it's yeah it's a really great experience and then the bunk rooms you know uh different places have different bunk accommodations 
Okay. Um, at a place like Zealand Falls Hut, we got, you know, two bunk rooms essentially of, uh, what is it, like 18 or so folks in each bunk room. Uh, and then at like a Lonesome Lake Hut, we have uh, smaller bunk rooms uh, of basically there's, what is it, six bunk rooms of four and three bunk rooms of, of, of eight or something like that. Um, yeah. Or six. And so it, it, uh, it kind of varies. Um, and that sometimes that's not, that's not for everyone. Some people don't love being in uh, a bunk with that aging other people. There's always someone who's either snoring or getting up to go to the bathroom or, uh, you know, one of those five-year-olds is there, uh, not, not sleeping all that well, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's more, it's more than a shelter, but it's also not a, uh, you know, a uh, five-star hotel on the side of the mountain. It's, it's, it's rustic fun, yeah. uh, accommodations. Well, I have, um, yeah, I mean, my bad. I have personal experience from Lake in the Clouds. So what's that particular yeah. hut called there, that one? Uh, Lakes of the Clouds is, is called Lakes of the Clouds Hut. And yeah. it is I, on okay. Builder, Washington there, yeah. Yeah, so, I, um, so last year, 2019, around, I think it must have been July, or June, July, maybe August, July, August. I was, uh, I went for, a, I was going for, a, I had a failed attempt on the Appalachian Trail, this, going for the speed record, and yeah. um, it failed pretty early on. So my mentor at the time, Warren Doyle, said, "Why don't you go up to the Whites and do the most difficult part of the Appalachian Trail? You know, so when you come back next year uh, and go for yeah, another yeah. attempt, you'll be familiar." So I remember that day. I was really thirsty. I'd run out of water, I think, or something. And I got to the lakes in the cloud and I went in and there was this homemade lemonade or something. And there's a, like an honesty box. I think you just leave, you just make a donation or you leave some money or something. And I think I had two cold glasses of this kind of homemade lemonade and it was the best thing that I'd ever tasted. You know, I thought this tastes so good. And then the kind of atmosphere that I took in, cause I wasn't there for long. I just popped in and out was um, just a feeling of, you know, the, the staff were, um, the, the staff were just kind of pretty chilled out and you could see that the staff had made the food themselves and it was all homemade food and just looked really hearty and a really welcoming, welcoming, um, place to be. And then I just left it. So that was my experience of lakes in the clouds. Um, a pretty awesome place, which, uh, yeah, I think when I go back, I want to spend a bit more time than just having two cold glasses of lemonade. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you bring up a couple of things there. One is that we're, we're, we're pretty lucky in that, uh, when folks are running across the trails, uh, the, the appreciation for the quality of the food that we put out is, uh, is elevated. So sometimes we'll get, this is the best meal I've ever had. And those sorts of things. <laughs> You know, if we were in the valley, you might not be saying that, but it is definitely, we, we do, like you said, we do try hard to uh, serve, you know, whole food that we cook there. And uh, we, we make our own bread. That's sort of like a, a staple for us that we talk about a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, we make our own breads, we make our own desserts. We really try to do most everything from scratch. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we really, we pride ourselves on, on the food that we, we put out. Um, and then, you know, it's also, we, we do get some of the stuff helicoptered in, but the hot crew carry in a lot of that food on their back. And I think that's another kind of, uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's fine. I got a phone call there. I'm going to mute my phone. Yep. Yeah. I know. Um, having the food I've, I've been to, um, Borneo and 
uh, I went up to Mount uh, Kinablu, I think it was, and passing people, um, going up to the hut, carrying supplies. It was the only way to take uh, supplies up. And you just know that, you know, when a meal's put together and, and people have really, um, you know, put a lot of effort into making this happen for you, it just tastes a whole lot better than a, a ready meal out of a petrol station or something, you know. Totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. But, um, well, so maybe a good idea is to talk about the structure of how, how did these huts don't run themselves, you know? Um, yeah. And um, maybe talk about the structure of what it would take to run one of these huts. Like you spoke about the people in the kitchen making the food and things. So are these kind of volunteers or are they um, hikers or are they uh, paid staff? These are paid, paid seasonal, seasonal staff. So they're folks that come in generally in late May and they work through the, usually that season runs through the end of the summer. It's a lot of college folks. So around mid-August, folks start going back to work. And then uh, we have another group that comes in in that late August time and works through the end of the season, which at our higher huts is mid-September and at our kind of lower huts, it, it is mid-October. Um, and uh yeah you know we, we okay yeah we we strive we, we we really rely upon the fact that there's um we have sort of as i've mentioned a, a really great culture of people up there a really great group of people so we rely a lot on institutional knowledge um we do training at the beginning of the year but based upon you know kids getting out of school in the end of May and our season needs to start on June 1st, it's sort of like, we got a week to jam in. This is how you cook. This is how you talk to people. This is where you're going to pack. This is, you know, how the retail works and how you fill out a credit card slip. This is how you clean the bathroom. This is how you take care of the septic system. This is how you relight the pilots on the stove if they go out. This is your water system. You know, it's like, not it's much a, then. Just, not much. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a brain dump and they, you know, they just got done taking their finals. So it's, maybe a, a tenth of it gets soaked up. And so we really do rely on that, on the job training and on, and, and on that institutional knowledge where um, someone's been working in the huts three, four years and they're the hut master. They're yeah. leading the hut. Um, and they have an assistant who's usually been there for two years, maybe three, who's kind of, you know, helping out doing a, a few of the other management tasks or, or being in charge of the hut while they're gone. Mm-hmm. And then anywhere from three to Oh, what's, what's that math? Nine, um, hot crew who are, who are there and doing the work alongside those other two leaders that are really, uh, you know, cooking meals, packing food, uh, interacting with guests and doing, um, all the other sundry things that need to be done up at the hut. And at each hut, we also have a naturalist, uh, and that person is, um, talking with the guests every night about, the natural world and the communities, uh, the, the ecosystems, natural history, cultural history, uh, depending upon where you go, kind of varies by um, the, the environment that you're in. So oftentimes if you're up at Lakes of the Clouds, like you mentioned, you'll, talk, you'll hear a talk on the Alpine environment, or if you're in Zealand down where there's a bunch of beaver, um, beaver habitat, you might hear about beaver or moose. Uh, and so that sort of, uh, we're trying to, while, pe- while we have all these people on vacation enjoying the outdoors, we try to poke them a little bit with uh, uh, some education to say, hey, this is, 
this is unique. This is important. And we need yeah. you to help us to help to protect it and conserve it. Yeah. So hopefully when someone comes in and spends the night, they've had more than a hot meal. They've actually learned about the environment and hopefully become a member um, of the AMC and, and just, and just being part of something, you know, bigger than just a weekend hike with the family, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my goal is to see these huts not just as community centers for outdoor recreation, which they certainly are. And I think it's a real value to have them. Um, you know, your story is not a unique one where folks come through and they eat lunch at the tables and fill up on water. And, you know, that's a really important thing that we serve in addition to the folks that are staying the night and sharing stories about what they've done. But also, I want to view these huts as, as stewardship centers. These are places where we have um, research going on. We have um, at Lakes of the Clouds, for instance, there's decades of uh, air quality research that's going on to see what effects uh, some of the Clean Air Act mitigations have had on air quality and, and visibility. We have um, at all the huts research going on uh, on plant phrenology. That's essentially blooming times of plants to see if we're seeing any effects of climate change on those blooming times. We have our naturalists, like I mentioned earlier, talking to folks, and we have uh, volunteers uh, at a couple of the huts going out and talking to folks in some of these alpine areas, um, saying, hey, stay on the trail, you know, don't step on this plant that is a pretty rare commodity where we live, uh, let's help protect these areas. So they, they really are, um, I think we strive to be more than just uh, here, come lay down, have some, have some food and, and go on your way. We're really trying to, to, to make it a more holistic view of um, you're passing through, look at this beautiful world around you. Let's help protect it. Let's use this building to, to house some of the people that are going to be helping to protect it. Um, and really having that, that stewardship goal uh, of the huts is something that uh, we do pretty well now. And hopefully we're going to continue to expand upon in, in the years ahead. Do the, um hot masters what was the position under the hot master you said yes assistant hot master assistant hot master so have they typically been uh, oh my memory's losing me here and then the hot the the, the the people who do the cooking sorry their title yeah crew crew right okay hot crew so would you typically see people return as hot crew and then go on to assistant hot master and then potentially hot master Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I did my first season up at Lakes of the Clouds um, as a, as a lowly crew member. And uh, the next year I was an assistant over at Madison and then uh, came back and was hub master in my third year up at Galehead. So that's sort of like a, a pretty typical progression of how you'd see um, one of these hut folk do, do their time and, and move, move up through the ranks. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's pretty cool. It's like there's always a, well, if you want, there's a progression there. There's something, you know, to come yeah. back to next year and look at things from a slightly different angle to, to, to challenge you in a slightly different way as well. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. when you're selecting or not even selecting, but, you know, um, for the people who become the, cut, uh, the hut crew, where do you kind of source these uh, individuals yeah, we're, we're very, very, we're very, very lucky in that regard. Um, 
because as I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, I went up to the huts and that is uh, pretty, and then I applied to be hut crew later on in life. And that is very common for us. There's, there's a pretty big following of the huts and it's also just a kind of a cool opportunity uh, to go and live up in the whites for, for your summer. So we generally have about 15 to 18 new positions that we try to fill for. And we have generally 175 to 200 applicants that apply. That's for crazy. Position. That is yeah. crazy. Yeah. And, and, you know, these, these are, they're, they're qualified young people who are really, you know, they're, they're very, very passionate and they go on, you know, looking at our alumni association, the old huts association, um, you know, these are folks that go on to be doctors and lawyers and, you know, lead, lead companies, lead organizations. Uh, it's, it's a really talented group of young people. And I think we're, we're very lucky to have uh, an opportunity to uh, gain from them. And, and hopefully they, you know, they see it as a good opportunity to um, spend some time reflecting in, the, in these really wonderful spaces about uh, the natural world and also about who they are. Yeah, it is a time, and to, I don't want to sound like an old fogey here or something, <laughs> but you know, in today's uh, times, you know, having time to just sit back and think, I mean, not that people, um, um, the um, hut crew at all sit down and do nothing, but on times when you can sit down after oh, yeah. a hard day's work, you can often reflect a, with a lot more clarity up in the mountains than if you're... Um, in your room with a computer or something. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's a reason why we have, uh, we've seen a rise in mindfulness and meditation, at least here in, in the United States. And whether that was just a realization that they could commodify it, or it was a true, true need that the, the people had that were bombarded at all times. Uh, this idea that you can go and sit on your porch and just look at the wind go through the trees is not something that is, uh, kind of culturally appropriate anymore. And we've had to find a space through, through some of these, uh, you know, apps or whatever it is, coaches uh, to, to get that back. And so, you know, I, I, something I always enjoyed being up in the huts is while it was a very demanding job, uh, perhaps surprisingly so, I would just go out and find, you know, go a little bit off trail, find a little spot where I wouldn't be bothered and just, you know, watch the clouds roll in over the mountains, watch, you know, uh, the birds hunting for little insects uh, or, you know, a big, uh, Raven, uh, the, the common raven is, is a pretty um, fun bird to watch because they're very acrobatic in kind of the thermals that, that blow around up, up in the mountains. So, you know, to be yeah. able to just spend time and just take an hour and sit there and just sort of <laughs> soak it in is, is really... Right. I mean, the stories that um, the, I, I'll use the term kids as well, come back with, you know, no wonder they're such a sought after position. And then how about, how do you go about I mean, if you have, I mean, you literally have to turn five or six people away. I think if I if I've done the math right, for every one position that you um, fill, how do you select the? I mean, when you've got such a selection of people, how do you rattle it down? I mean, is it a lottery system, or are you looking for certain qualities? Is everyone in, interviewed? How does it work? Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's a question that I could I could spend hours talking about because I spent many, many hours thinking about it and, uh, yeah. and trying to refine the process. Uh, but you know, there's a, it, it is, it is funny, right? With any application process, it's all a little bit uh, goofy. 
um, because when we get when you get an application, right? We get these two hundred applications, and you read them all, um, and oftentimes we read them all twice. And you look at it, and you say, okay, the ones that are going to make that first cut to get to the interview are oftentimes the ones that are the best writers. And I'll tell you what, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be the best at what uh, what you're going for here. So something we've we've, we've tried to to uh, do a little bit over the past five years or so is look at it and say okay, what are, what are some applicable experiences that could be good for this? And, you know, at the end of the day, we're in the hospitality business. And uh, so, you know, we look for folks with some sort of background of interacting with the public. Um, we look yeah. for folks with some, you know, we, we look for some uh, background and experience in, in hiking and that sort of thing, though that is not perhaps, that's often a less, less of less importance to us. Um, than many many would take um, or money would expect, uh, and then you know cooking is another thing that comes in, and then probably the last thing that's a big a big one for us is is people who have experience and can speak to that experience well um, of living in close quarters with other people, right? Uh, we we have as I've said several times five to eleven people living up in these huts, and it's not like you know. <laughs> We are, we're on the White Mountain National Forest. We, we operate on us under a special use permit on the White Mountain National Forest. So we were there, a lot of these buildings were there before the White Mountain National Forest was founded. We own the buildings, but we now lease, or we don't lease, we, we operate under a special use permit. Um, but why I bring that up is we have a footprint and that footprint isn't gonna change. <laughs> um, and so we have some pretty small buildings and so these, the quarters for these crew are not, uh, not palatial by any means. There, there was, I remember uh, maybe eight years ago, reading a piece or talking to the Hutt's manager at the time who was interviewed by I think someone in the Wall Street Journal or maybe the Washington Post. And that person pulled up the uh, square footage of a room in some high security prison somewhere and basically said, you know, the, the inmates at this prison get more get more space in, in their living quarters than the hot crew do or something along that those lines you know yeah we're, yeah we're cramming a lot of people into a small space they live in that that's their only private area is that one room um and you know private there's in quotes because they're sharing it with their coworkers. they go out that door they're in uh you know oftentimes either in the kitchen or walking into a public hallway uh, and that's it. That's their space. So I guess the rest of their other private spaces, the White Mountain National Forest, like I said, you can kind of, you can find your own spots, but, uh, you know, it, it is important that you can live and work in a small group and that, uh, any, anything that we can do, and it, that's a hard thing to judge in a, you know, a, a 10 paragraph essay sure. and, uh, and, a, you know, half hour conversation, but we do our best to try to try to zero in on those things. And, uh, and, and make as good decisions as we can. Yeah, um, I just thought of a great way to make make money. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, close this podcast off to only subscribers and sell it to the applicants. And because whoever um, <laughs> of applicants listen to this podcast is going to have the best chance at getting in <laughs> to the um, yep. hut crew. <laughs> it is a competitive process, so you can make a pretty penny there. Oh man. Um, yeah, so that's the that's the, yeah that gives a really good picture. You painted a really good picture of the the actual huts and the um, 
the crew and 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 even your experience working and and going back after three years going back to you on a personal level so what did you do so once you become um hot um crew manager i've got that no that's not the right term hot manager Hutmaster. Hut Hutmaster. Yeah, manager sounds like a, a Walmart p- position. That's no, no. Hutmaster. That sounds better. It's almost like Kung Fu uh, Trail Hut kind of thing. Yeah, Hutmaster. Um, yeah. What did you do? Uh, your following year? Did you did you go back to the huts or did you do something different? Yeah. So they could. I mean, you know, I'm here because I held on and never let go. So you know, there's there's a there's a certain degree they could get rid of me. I. Uh, I, um, I did, I worked five summers in the huts. So I, I was hut master of Galehead hut my third year. And then I came back and was hut master at Madison and then hut master at lakes in my final summer. Um, and sort of for me, that was lakes of the clouds is sort of a, I don't know, it's, a, it's, it's a zoo. It's, you get <laughs> you have thousands of people coming through you have nine other people that you're taking care of you know i want i wanted to test my ability to do it um and i think i did all right uh you know i i definitely learned some things but uh, so i i did that and then and then honestly i i went to school in annapolis maryland and i graduated in 2008 and i yeah. uh, or 2007 i guess and then i uh did summer on the huts. I went down, I was a waiter for a year. I came back up to Boston and worked for a medical billing company uh, for two years. I, I don't know if you recall 2008, but it wasn't a great year to find a job in, uh, in December of, of that year. Uh, it was when the economy fell out of, uh, of, of, of things here yeah. in the U S and I think yeah. across the world. And, uh, and, and so I, I worked in a mailroom for a couple of years and then I basically went up the, met my friend who was the huts manager at the time at uh, Greenleaf Hut, just sort of on a random day hike I was doing. And he said, hey, this position's open, you should apply. And I applied and was lucky enough to, to get that job. And I, again, I sort of, I held on. I was a field supervisor for the huts for a couple of years and I was huts manager for the past I don't know, for five years or so. And now I've, I'm in my current position now for about a year. Yeah, it's all right. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's such a, operation isn't it you, um who oversees everything is there like a board of um directors or what who's at the kind of top of this organization yeah absolutely um there's like a there's a president who's the the john judge is the president ceo of the appalachian mountain club and then uh for kind of a lodging side my boss is uh paul kuna who has this kind of a similar background to me coming up through the organization um and uh, he's worked i don't know 30 more year 30 plus years for the organization um and then yes as you as you mentioned there's a, there's yeah. a volunteer a volunteer board of directors uh that is that is pretty robust um as well mm-hmm. that, that i guess is the background and you know I, i've brought up the chapters as well as some volunteers that we have and uh the um the outdoor program centers and our facilities and uh, our, our board. It, it is a very, it's a volunteer driven organization. We do have like a headcount of 185, 200 people, depending mm-hmm. upon when you take, you, you take the snapshot. Um, but, but, you know, we, the amount of volunteers we have is, is pretty incredible. Um, just in, just in the, the facilities, we have about 200 folks that volunteer every year. Um, and that is not a particularly large number, but our, our chapters are all run by volunteers. 
our board is volunteer run. There are, I, I won't name the number, um, but it's tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of hours that are, um, you know, given every year to uh, keep, keep the AMC running and do what we do. Yeah. Um, and um, so, so that's the kind of the structure and thing. And then, I mean, <laughs> all this structure is made up of individuals and these individuals, um, you actually do have some uh, people who have the, you know, I mean, the reason I, I wanted to have, you know, the AMC on the Christian Ultra podcast. Be oh, I'm not sure what that is. Is that me? It is. Well, it's not, oh. it's not me. Oh, they, wow. I don't know what that is. Zoom bombed. Stop it. Um, what is that? Oh, it's the phone. Your theme, your theme music. All right, I just turned it off. I'm, I'm so <laughs> randomly I'm at my uh, father's house and uh, in his uh, office and the phone just rang. So, right. Nice. That was fun. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I, where was I going? I know where I was going. I wanted to talk about um, these awesome ultra runners, these the two women that you'd mentioned who had something to do with the AMC as well because they're pretty good ultra runners. Oh, and then I was saying why... Yeah, I asked you guys um, and this organization to come onto the shows because I love the outdoors. Um, the Appalachian runs through where your the huts are, and um, and and so there's a link there with ultra running. And you actually do have. Uh, let's get the uh, Katie Scheid and also uh, Hilary Gelraldi. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, did, what was their um, position, and how do you know those guys? Yeah. So um, Hillary. Hillary Girardi and Katie Scheid worked in the huts and um, you, you can, you, they, there are various quotes from them about, about uh, how their experience in the huts sort of, and just, you know, growing up in the white mountains uh, has informed their experience as ultra marathoners um, or ultra runners. But, you know, I, I think for, for me, there's a, a very uh, robust uh, group of people up in the the white that are trying to you know run the trails fast and the hut crew are no no different than that. It's a bunch of young people who are hiking anywhere from thirty to seventy pounds of food uphill two to five miles um, twice a week, and so they are getting a good workout in that way. And then on their off time you know, they're running from hut to hut to go and see their friends at their, their next door neighbors, eight miles away. <laughs> and at night, we, we haven't talked about this. There's something called raiding and they, uh, they will sometimes leave after dark from their hut and run down the trail or run across the ridge, run up to the next hut, sneak in, steal a little totem off the wall. Uh, whether that's uh, an old propeller from a, a, a old airplane or a, or from a, uh, you know, a, a rowing shell and then hike back to their hut with it. They'll, they'll wake up the hut crew of the hut they stole it from to hang out for a half hour and they'll hike back to their hut, get home, you know, generally at, you know, four in the morning and sleep wow. for an hour and a half, get up, serve breakfast and, and be on their way. So, you know, that, that sort of background gets people into moving across trail quick and yeah. uh, some testing their limits and, and, uh, kind of the the test case for a lot of the hut crew as well as our trail crews that we have up here is the hut traverse 
And so they'll, they'll start uh, at Carter early in the morning and hike 50, 50 plus miles. Um, the goal is under 24 hours all the way to um, Lonesome Lake Hut. I don't know the elevation gain and loss offhand, but it, you know, the, the whites, yeah, yeah. The whites are, are not, you know, a lot of people, I've been on a fair amount of search and rescues actually where, uh, <laughs> where, where I, I pick someone up and you know, they have either a twisted ankle or their exhaustion. And, oh, I've, I've hiked out West. I know high mountains. This is, this is the hardest hiking I've ever done. Cause you know, <laughs> out West it's all, it's all at, at grade. So it's, it's easy. You just go back and forth and back and forth. But up here, yeah. we just go up, we go up the side of the mountain. So it's a, it's a hard hike. And, uh, you know, I think the goal for laymen like me is under 24 hours. But some of these folks, Katie last year came back and got um, the, the woman's record for speed. Um, I yeah. can't remember off the top of my head. I, I, I want to say it's uh, 16 hours, maybe maybe 14 hours. Um, and then a young, a young man named Jeff Colt holds the FKT for – for the uh for the hut traverse um i think around 12 um but those numbers yeah you throughout those numbers christian i i feel bad for for saying them because i think katie probably would, would uh punch me right in the nose and, uh, <laughs> what are you sign. talking about she's like yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> i ran it faster than that you come on oh man well katie um shied here uh pronounced uh s-c-h-i-d-e was actually um sixth at the utmb which is pretty much the most competitive 100 mile ultra marathon on the planet uh so uh yeah and she's also won mont blanc 90k and 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 she came second in madeira island ultra trail that i ran sounds like i've got to get her on the show <laughs> yeah yeah she's well she you if you go for one of them go for hillary because katie doesn't love talking but hillary oh, okay <laughs> hillary's a good talker yeah um, yeah, so, so definitely trail running and um, getting out is a big part of, um, you know, the culture in the White Mountains, uh, for yeah. sure. And uh, yeah, it, it was nice. Like, I've, like I said, I've had my own experiences there and I'm going to be coming back also next year to, to uh, have more experiences. Um, where do you think the, um, the, the, the future, what are the future plans for, um, uh, actually, hold on. Let's not talk about the future plans. I, I still, I'm so, I'm such a wildlife fan. And, um, I, I saw my first bear on the Appalachian trail last year. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, sorry, not last year, 2018, I was with Carol Sabay and he's the current record holder for the fastest known time on the AT. And I was luckily awesome. with him for, um, 16, 15 or 16 of those days. And, um, I saw my first bear. So what, um, how about your personal experiences with, with wildlife and, and, and maybe talk about some stories? Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we're, we're lucky here in the Northeast in that, uh, for better or worse, we killed all the dangerous wildlife way back in the day. Uh, so, we, you know, we don't have mountain lions or anything like that, or at least Fish and Game says that we don't have any mountain lions. Um, there's big conspiracy theories that they're running wild here, but, uh, uh, you know, mostly it's black bear and uh, the other big charismatic megafauna we got are, uh, are moose. Yeah. Um, so have some deer around. So, you know, the, the, the moose are really the fun ones, in my opinion. I, I saw some bear, uh, maybe 
two weeks ago. I've uh, gone up to Carter. Okay. Sort of, you know, looked at me through the woods and, and that was it. Um, and uh, I've run into moose a few times on the trail. I, I ran into a big, a big bull moose uh, sort of during rutting season, which is uh, mating season for them, which is always a bit of uh, a dicey proposition. They can get a bit territorial, but uh, luckily he turned tail and ran down the trail and uh, seemed to be frightened by my, my noise I was making and uh, didn't, didn't have any run-ins there. Um, we occasionally will get like, you know, bears that are accustomed to getting fed, which is problematic as, as you're, I'm sure aware. And so are your listeners that, uh, the saying we have around here is a fed bear is the dead bear. Um, yeah. because you know, once they get that, that, that food in them and they're accustomed to getting, getting rewards, uh, that's, that's trouble. So, um, I've, I've maybe five years ago, I was hiking down the Carter notch, from Carter Notch Hut on the 19 mile brook trail. And there was a, a bear with a, a mama bear with two cubs on the trail. And, you know, you're sort of supposed to make yourself look big and make some noise. And so I did that. I was with another um, young woman uh, named Bonnie at the time. And we tried to make ourselves big. And then all of a sudden the trail, the, the bear started walking towards us. And we were kind of like, oh, oh okay. Uh, I guess we'll find a different way down. And yeah. uh, we, we hiked up the trail about a tenth of a mile and, and we knew of kind of a shortcut off the path but uh, uh we got we got down safely but yeah you, especially with the mom, mama bears and the, the little ones you don't want to mess with them yeah you didn't feel so big then did you hey <laughs> no no i didn't i was all confident i had my pack board on which is a pretty you know like that's that's how we carry the food up and down from the huts and it's like a big wooden frame on your back so i was like i'm gonna look like a giant yeah and as soon as she gave me like a bark and a, and a couple steps forward, I was like, all right, I'm, <laughs> okay, I, I don't want to test this out any further. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, you spoke about a, um, what is it? A fed bear is a dead bear because, and that's probably something which is uh, worth talking about for the listeners, not to, you know, anyone who listens to this particular episode who goes out to the whites, you know, please do not, um leave food around because yeah a fed bear is a dead bear i have my own personal experience with that i was uh again as as i mentioned before out on the at um in 2018 and 19 and i said to uh one of the through hikers who i'd made friends with a guy called steve i was like oh did you see any bears in the section since i've seen you last and he said yeah i saw a dead bear like well how did you see a dead bear and he said oh well um there was a, uh, a hiker, a female hiker collecting some water and a bear tried to take her pack. And he said, the thing is she was actually wearing her pack, you know, when the yeah. bear try, tried to take, that was 2019. So, you know, it, and then the ranger had to come along and yeah, the, the bears, you know, have to be shot, you know, if that yeah. happens. So um, how often, um, does that happen or is that kind of an isolated situation? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't have numbers for the whole state that if we're involved in it, um, you know, maybe two years ago now we had, unfortunately at uh, Pingham Notch Visitor Center, one of our fun country lodges, we had a, um, a bear had to be euthanized there. Um, and, you know, the past couple of years, we've had some problem bears up, up, in uh, one section of our woods here and uh it has yet to 
reached that level, but I'm expecting that we'll have to do it. So I'd say once every couple of years, you, you, yeah, have, so, uh, you have a problem there. Yeah. Not, not a whole lot then. Um, but just, um, just to keep people safe, but pe people okay. can keep themselves safe by just, you know, taking all rubbish and, um, things with them off the trail for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, we, it, it, it extends to a number of other species as well. The, the bears are particularly problematic because they can mess you up if you're, you know, if, if you don't give them what they want, but yeah. you know, we have great gray jays or Canada jays, which are uh, birds that'll follow you up the trail. Um, you familiar with, uh, what is that movie? The, uh, the mocking jay. That's the second book. Oh, hunting, hunter, hunger games. The, What's it called? In the, in the, the hunger games is like a teen, uh, oh, I, yeah, you know, it's really famous, but I've not watched that one yet. Is yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. Jennifer Lawrence does all right. So, but at any rate, there, there's a bird in that book where, that like follows you around and spies on you. And it's, it's very reminiscent of that. Well, you'll be hiking up the Crawford Path up Southern Presidentials and there'll just be like three or four of these birds, like, you know, swooping down and basically following you until they until you reward them and give them food and they'll come up and they'll sit on your hand and eat out of your hand uh, because people feed them so much so you know chipmunk red squirrel all that it's it's not definitely changes the experience and and when they become dependent upon it um it's not it's not a great thing for their lifespan and, and how they're uh living their lives so definitely don't feed the wildlife to the best yeah. year it's something we ask folks to to keep in mind no, I, I, um, I didn't get the privilege of seeing a moose. I did read a lot about them. And I know that actually up in Maine, when I was in Maine last year, the, um, they account for quite a lot of deaths with people once they come out onto the road. Because when you, you're in a car and you hit the legs, I mean, the body's at the height of the windscreen and that goes through the windscreen. Um, not that that's got any, anything to do with the AMC, but just... Uh, but they're big animals. I mean, they're pretty oh, big. They're big animals. They're, they're goofy, goofy animals. You're, you see them and you're kind of like, how did this really survive all the fittest here? That doesn't seem, you know, tiny brains, big, big, long legs. So like you said, when, when you're driving, a lot of times you don't see them because your, your headlights are pointing at their legs, which are like sticks. And then all of a sudden this big, massive body pops out when yeah. you're 10 feet away and, um, yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're, they're goofy. Um, you know, unfortunately I think, uh, right now they're, they're suffering, suffering, uh, population loss throughout the Northeast and definitely in New Hampshire where we are Maine is still a little isolated, but, uh, connected to climate change, the winter tick population, um, is basically more and more ticks are, are able to live through the winter. Um, and it's particular, it's not the tick that we associate with with Lyme mm. here in the Northeast, which is black-legged tick or the deer tick. These are the winter ticks. Um, but at any rate, they, they, there are so many ticks that get and live on oftentimes the, the young um, calves through the winter that they come up in the spring and are so emaciated, they just, they, they can't survive. Um, and so we've seen a pretty, pretty big drop off in the population over the past um, five to 10 years, uh, which it is happening because it is, they are such a charismatic and, and unique animal that we have up in these, this, this range of woods. Yeah. Did, the, the other, the other kind of ecological thing, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's more boring and maybe not to, not as much to, uh, to our appeal because it's not as charismatic, but just, you know, we've, we've talked about the Alpine zone a lot. We have 13 square miles, I believe of Alpine zone 
um, which is the largest section of uh, Alpine east of the Mississippi um, in the United States. There's, there's more of that, obviously, once you go up north into Canada, because as you go higher north, it, it, the, the tree line drops. But, um, but you know, the, the, some of the plants up in that region uh, are, are really fascinating to, to look at and watch. Uh, I mean, less watch, but more, more to learn about and think about in terms of what their adaptations are for the, um, for the environment that they're in. Because uh, the Alpine Zone is a very harsh living environment. There's not a lot of soil. There's a lot of water, um, but probably too much water. And because there's not a lot of soil, it goes right by and then they're, they're open to wind and uh, light, right? Like there's no trees to shade them off. So they're constantly battling uh, UV and uh, evaporation and evapotranspiration. So that, you know, they're, they're, they're tough little plants and they're also not accustomed to having people walk on them. So mm. that's a big challenge for us uh, where we, we're encouraging recreation and conservation and they're a bit in conflict. And so we're trying always to, to go with that education piece to say, hey, we want to have you up here, um, but be responsible, stay on the trail, make sure that you're um, not contributing to erosion, you're not contributing to the, the death of these really rare alpine plants that we have here in the Presidential Ridge and on and the Franconia Ridge as well. Mm, no, um, you can watch plants actually, because um, no, seriously, because when I was, uh, yeah. I was actually helping again i mentioned carol Sabay with his record yeah. attempt in 2018 um we were on because i i did a fair bit of um running with him i think i did about like i don't know 35 uh, miles or so each day of his um average of 53 so i was out there with him a fair bit and um when you're out there that long and you're inside your head for so long you can't just stare down at the trail um and the rocks because um I think that's the passageway into insanity. So you have yeah. to occupy your mind. So you can actually watch plants. And I remember in particularly one, one time just taking in such an appreciation of the leaves of the plants around me. It was almost like, it sounds a bit weird. It was almost like an out of body experience. I, I realized that every single leaf I was looking at similar to a snowflake not being identical to another slow, snowflake was completely unique from er every other leaf. And it was, yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty special. So yeah, I think you can watch plants. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I mean, I think that experience is one that all, all of us runners sort of have is that realization moment where you're like, I don't need to look at my feet, right? Like, <laughs> I, I can look up and I can look around and that in some ways, you know, that's the most joy of, of running uh, yeah. is, you know, I have some trails just in a little, you know, park near my house that I go on, you know, probably three times a week and just, looking at the forest and looking how the, the the sun is playing through the leaves or you know different times of day different weather coming through um you know I'm, i got a particularly windy day here in north Conway, new hampshire and just you know seeing the different ways in which the the, totally. the wind comes through the trees it's uh, yeah I, I i love it you know that's why we we do what we do right we're not if, yeah. if if we cared more about the dollar signs, we'd probably be doing something else. So, you know, that, that natural world is really um, looking at the leaves, looking at the, the plants. I don't know, for me, that's, that's why I'm here. Yeah, I think it's healing on a, you know, yeah. without going into in too deeply. I think nature ultimately heals, um, you know, and the more time we're in nature and also respect nature and are educated, you know, so we're not kind of destroying it and um, helping it. it it's a great... Um, 
it's a you know you you get back from nature and if you know you respect it um uh, one last um before i want to just move on just uh want to ask you about one uh, particular animal uh, the bobcat um yeah. and uh, have you actually ever seen a bobcat yourself i've seen a bobcat once in my life and wow. uh yeah it's, it was very odd i was at we have a uh a like a first aid what would you call them um there, there's a place down in conway called solo um stone hearth outdoor learning opportunities or something like that and they, they do a lot of uh outdoor first aid stuff so wilderness first aid wilderness first responder wilderness cmt those sorts of things um and they have a really, a really neat campus uh and there's a there we were all sitting in the, the dining hall it's kind of like this little octagon building um out back looking out on some woods and just traipsing through through the forest comes up bobcat and i'll tell you what it was much bigger than i than i would have ever you know i always see pictures of bobcats and they look pretty small uh, you know not not house cat size but but i was impressed with the size of this thing it was the size of a pretty large dog wow. um, which brings which brings me to be like oh well was it a lynx because lynx are kind of an expert extirpated species they used to live here and they don't anymore okay. um, and there's there's a lot of talk about are they back are they not um it wasn't a lynx. I, I don't. I don't think. But uh, yeah, that, that was. That's my only experience with bobcat because they're very. They're very uh, solitary and, and like most cats, secretive. Yeah, stealthy animal. So yeah. um, I was lucky enough to see one through a window. I uh, kind of probably for five minutes. Kinda no, that's that area. that's an awesome experience. I when I entered New Hampshire, I looked up at what, what wildlife I could potentially encounter, and I knew. Well, not that I'm going to potentially encounter a bobcat, but I knew bobcats were in the area. And uh, but when you know that there's a particular animal, especially as stealth as that, and you're like, okay, so I, where, when am I going to see a bobcat? You're never going to see a bobcat yeah, if you're looking never. for one. I think, yep. I mean, you were not looking for a bobcat that day. That bobcat exactly. just found you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the, the thing. Another thing I love about being here is we have we still have winter up here. Um, and it is fun. I, I like, I like Nordic skiing, um, backcountry skiing a little bit and, uh, looking at the tracks is always, you know, like you yeah. can't see them, but you can see, you can see, uh, traces of them. You can see tracks. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll oftentimes I've been on a lot of skis where you'll see the snowshoe hare, which is a big, uh, big prey of theirs. Um, you know, you'll see the snowshoe hare tracks and you see a bunch of them and all of a sudden you'll see the bobcat tracks and, uh, it's just, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of neat to, to trace through where they've been and, and what they've yeah. done. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a good enough tracker to tell, tell which direction they're going and how fresh it is and if I should follow it and that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, I just enjoy the, the seeing their passing. No, it sounds fun. Um, well, the, back to the AMC here. Um, we, I suppose, um, I, I just want to ask you about like where the, um, what the plans for the future of the AMC are and uh, if it, you know what you could talk about that at all. Yeah. So I'm, there's a, I don't even know if there's a question in that. Is there, there's not really, no, 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 there is. I, I'm <laughs> trying to decide. So, so we, we just completed our, 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 our vision 2020, which is a kind of like a 10 year, you know, landmark. And now we're sort oh. of 
re-trenching uh, to go for our 150th, which, I, like I said earlier, is in uh, 2026. Nice. Um, but, you know, it being coronavirus time, everything has sort of been thrown out the window. And so we haven't been focusing on it as much. Um, yeah. So I, I'm still kind of learning. But I guess, you know, I, I think a few things we are continuing, like like many organizations, to check out uh, um, to, or to be involved in climate change um, and understanding climate change and understanding how, you know, what role we play as an organization, both in the our own personal footprint and mitigation more broadly for for the region. So we've we've uh, done some work on what we call close to home destinations, right? We're a conservation organization that's encouraging a whole bunch of folks to drive up to New Hampshire for from Boston, New York, and that's a whole bunch of carbon in, in the atmosphere. So uh, we recently have uh, renovated a old camp in Harriman State Park in New York, which is um, you know possible to get to through public transportation. We've played a big role in um, the development of the Bay Circuit Trail, which is a trail that kind of um, circumnavigates uh, the Boston area and some of the outer suburbs of Boston. Um, so you can start in the North Shore and basically hike around this trail to the uh, to the South Shore. Mm. And so we're continuing to focus on some of that close to home stuff where you know, going out for me, uh, some, some of the most relaxing stuff, like I said earlier, I, I do and most rejuvenating stuff that I do is just at a park close to home. And, and so focusing on some of that um, is important to us. We're continuing to um, hope, hope to have uh, carbon neutral by 2050 as an organization. Um, and uh, we have had a large focus on youth. We talked about that earlier in, in, in the show. Um, but we uh, are, and we'll continue to focus on youth, but we're also, you know, focusing broadly on inclusivity as well and becoming, you know, a leader in, in this industry uh, of, of outdoor recreation to try to um, see what we can do to look at ourselves and understand better the barriers that we have put up and historically um, have created for people of color to um, participate in outdoor pursuits and as well as meet people where, where they're at. You know, we've, we've talked a bit about uh, leave no trace here and there are some leave no trace principles that, um, you know, I, I think are uh, in conflict with how some people use the outdoors. You know, mm. are you, are you uh, more predisposed to, to, you know, larger, larger vociferous gatherings or are you, um, you know, do you, do you just go out and use your um, local park to have a, um, you know, a cookout or something like that? There's a lot of different ways in which different people uh, from different socioeconomic backgrounds as well as cultural, racial backgrounds use the lands um, that we're trying to protect and just making sure that we're um, really capturing those in, in a larger sense rather than simply sticking to this sort of like, you know, you go outside, you're quiet, and you don't tell anyone else that you were ever there. And that's how you interact with the outdoors uh, and just trying to broaden that a little bit more uh, so that we're more inclusive of the broader, broader folks. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like you're um, evolving uh, and uh, adapting with the times and going, yeah. you know, not, not trying to just be um, tunnel visioned. And, and I think it, it, I mean, it's great. Definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm liking every, everything I'm hearing. And I think my lack of um, me thinking that the huts were all a bunch of um, shelters with, yeah, I think that's the whole idea. I wanted also to have this podcast is to really educate myself and other people. And I've certainly been educated um, 
you know, by um, all the information that you've shared as well. And I just really appreciate, you know, all of um, your time and everything. And thanks for James coming on to the show. Is there any um, thing you would like to, um, uh, I don't know, like uh, share with the uh, listeners kind of before we um, end the podcast or anything like that? No, I mean, I think we've, I think we've hit upon uh, most everything that I would, I would want to say, you know, I think the last piece I would put out is just a, uh, a, an open invitation to come visit us here in, in the whites in the Northeast uh, and, you know, see, see what we have to offer uh, and come and stay at our huts and hike on the trails that we maintain and help, uh, help us accomplish the goals that we're trying to, to meet as an organization. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know. Awesome. Really appreciate your time. And, uh, just, uh, I'll shut the show down, but just stay on the line just so I can say bye in person. So thanks guys. And, um, you know, uh, thanks, um, James for coming onto the show onto the Christian ultra forgot what it's called almost myself (laughs) podcast, my name, how can I forget that? And, uh, I guys, I'll see you uh, next week with a new guest. James, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, that was really good fun. Um, it felt really natural. I, I just, um, I I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did because I, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's it. It's a wrap. That's the end of the show guys. Thanks for listening. Um, James is an awesome individual. And what I liked about that interview was that James' personality uh, shone through during the interview, as well as him representing such an awesome uh, association, the Mountain, the Appalachian Mountain Club, the AMC. So, um, yep, I hope you guys liked that as much as I did talking to James. So please do go and check out their um, website and find out more about them. Also, if you go and have a look at their Instagram, there's some awesome photos up on there. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening to that. Like I said earlier on in the introduction, uh, I'll be on day 10. And tomorrow, if I'm on record track, will be my last day. It kind of feels weird saying this before I've even started. So I feel nervous and anxious saying this, but it is as it is with a pre-recorded and uh, pre-scheduled show. Please, anyone interested in um, online run coaching, go ahead and uh, check out my website. Look at the services I offer on there. One-to-one personal um, run coaching, uh, being able to catch up with me personally on a weekly basis so let's let's uh, just keep our fingers crossed that i am still on the trail and things are going well guys have a great week and um, i'll be back next week with another interesting guest